Today on World Footprints, we'll travel somewhere in time and take you inside an iconic hotel made famous by Hollywood and for having the longest porch in the world. Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the multi-award winning show for socially responsible travelers. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Surrounded by Lake Huron, Michigan's Mackinac Island is breathtaking for its beauty. Since the late 19th century, the island's Grand Hotel has welcomed to northern Michigan the famous, from presidents and Hollywood stars to industrialists who have come to experience the grandeur of Michigan's most iconic building, the Grand Hotel. Today, we'll bring the Grand Hotel to life through the people entrusted to its care. Thanks, dear. Dan Musser is the latest in his family to be at the helm of the Grand Hotel. Dan shares why the hotel remains special to him and what has kept him in the family's business taking care of the Grand Hotel. I like our family business. I love the interaction with our staff members and you know, that have become friends and mentors over the year. And uh, then as I started full-time, I started knowing our guests in a different way. Running the world's largest summer hotel is as nuanced as managing a baseball team. Ken Hayward learned some lessons playing baseball at the University of Michigan and has taken some of those lessons to help the Grand Hotel's team provide superior service to the guests who come to relax, unwind, and travel back somewhere in time. If you're going to work in the hotel business, I think you you should always work at the front desk for a while because you interact with all the guests. Uh, you, you learn how to take care of your customers, and uh, I call on that experience you know, today. And Finally, with two centuries of history behind it, the Grand Hotel holds lots of stories. Hotel historian and concierge Bob Taggetts takes us on a storyteller's journey inside the Grand Hotel. In 1981, they were going to do a television show here, and they asked what made us unique. And we said, oh, you know, the longest front porch in the world at 880 feet. And they asked if we were in the Guinness Book of World Records. And we said, no. And they said, well, at least apply for it. If you apply for it, then we can put it in our television program. And we're like, well, it's great to promote the hotel. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Dan Musser is the latest in his family to be at the helm of the Grand Hotel. Dan shares why the hotel remains special to him and what has kept him in the family's business taking care of the Grand Hotel all these years. Our family now has had a, has been in control more than anyone else. We were mm-hmm. built by a railroad in- interest to create a new destination to haul people to, and I guess eventually, fortunately for our family, they weren't really interested in the operation of the facility. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've always fed a, I've said I feel more like a caretaker than an owner. Mm-hmm. At least that's what my father has instilled in me, and, and, I, and I certainly feel that way. And I, if uh, one of the next generation wants to get into this business and has an aptitude for it, I hope that that will continue on. Because I, I do feel like you know this iconic structure here in northern michigan is is our states our states you know so it's all of ours right. um, we're the we're the fortunate ones i guess to to, to own and operate it now and um but it's a, it's a wonderful challenge and 
every every season is, is different and brings on new challenges mm-hmm. uh, in a good way. Uh, we, as you've maybe experienced in, in your night with us already, we've embraced some of the traditions that we've had for a lot of years, but also have tried to improve upon what we offer uh, as far as amenities and services and decor and all the things that go into an experience at a place like ours. The the traditions that the hotel has um, celebrated over the years, I would think, you know, throughout the years, because we're, we're going on 130 years, or close to 130 yeah, years yeah. of the hotel's existence, has it been challenging to maintain those traditions in light of uh, change in technology, maybe people's, uh, travelers' uh, um, uh, new interest and in, in, in sure. wants and, you know, demands? Yes and no. I, I think that uh, you know the more the world does change, uh, there is there's more of a niche for a place like us. Now that being said, you know we have Wi-Fi. We have succumbed to televisions in all of our guest rooms. We so I mean there are certain things the traveling public, uh, particularly at the rates that we charge, expect and 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 want when they're with us. And and so we we've tried to kind of. Um, you know, uh, walk that fence, if you will, of keeping the things that make us unique and I think are special, and yet realize that we are in a different century than when mm-hmm. this place was built and built for that old type of guest and what we have now. And and so I think it's a it's a continual balance act that uh, we try to do. But you know, my my father, who grew up on a farm and then eventually came to work for his uncle here, always said. Um, kind of directly that, you know, it doesn't cost us a dime to make you put a, have a gentleman put a coat and tie in at night, but it really classes the place up. And it does. You know, our, our dining room that you were in last night, I assume, it's not a, it's not a, a stuffy, formal affair, but it mm-hmm. is but it is formal. It, it's an occasion. And with the music and everyone kind of parading down the, the aisle there, it's, it's a, an event. Um, and, and I think that uh, making, asking our guests to dress up creates an atmosphere and a special occasion um even if it isn't even if it isn't an anniversary or honeymoon or mm-hmm. it's, it's a special occasion i noticed a lot of um opportunities for children to be entertained yes. here yeah. and ian and i actually played in the arcade last <laughs> good, night good. <laughs> <laughs> ball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but when was was that a transitional change because my you know i would think back in the day when the hotel started and it's heyday and that early you know uh turn of the century that is mostly geared towards affluent, more affluent adult yeah. Yeah. Uh, population. So when did the, um, and it, I mean, it's nice. Well, I, it's, I can remember my great uncle, who was very much a Victorian, he was born in late 1800s, mm. um, saying, you know, that basically kids have a, a spot and it's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily in the hotel parlor <laughs> unless you're dressed up and quiet. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of our guests I, I grew up with seeing, bringing families and enjoying mm-hmm. the pool, enjoying the horses and the outdoors and all the things we have on that, the fort, and all the wonderful things, family-friendly things we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, after I started full-time in 1986, I realized pretty quick that, you know, if we want to cultivate our next generation of guests, we need to embrace the family. At the same time, affluent guests and others started to travel more with family. It became the norm, which it is right. today, I think, about that time. And so that, that's just dumb luck on my part. But um, I felt strongly that we had to have a, a good children's program. It mm-hmm. wasn't just, uh, you know, you drop the kid off in a room and 
put them in front of a video. And so, we, you know, we try to go to the fort. We try to go to the water. We try to go to the pool. We try mm-hmm. to, you know, incorporate all the things that are special to Mackin Island. Uh, make it part of the children's program. And uh, and that has paid dividends. So mm-hmm. we, we have a lot of value-added um, packages for, for those traveling with children in the summer. Uh, and, and, again, that has that transformed our guests and, I think, hopefully our next generation. It's my understanding that your father allowed you, just gave you room uh, just to pursue your own interests. And if you came back, uh, you know, to, to the family business, yeah. uh, that would be yeah. wonderful. And I, I understand you're doing the same thing for your children, letting them just kind of explore their own interests and in, in, uh, become their own independent uh, individual. We have, we have, as you know, we have wonderful hospitality schools in this mm-hmm. country. Michigan State is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cornell, Florida, I mean, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, the CIA, I mean, there's wonderful. And uh, But, you know, I, I grew up with this thing, so I had a little bit of a knowledge, maybe enough to be dangerous, I don't know. <laughs> his, his, his thought and my mom's thought was that, uh, you know, if, if you want to get involved in the family business, great. But explore what uh, explore the world first. And mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate to I feel to go to liberal arts college, and uh, I always I like English. I read I I minored in uh, English literature, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I enjoyed that part. But I also uh, had a major in economics and management, which I enjoyed as well. And eventually found myself coming back here that realized uh, I like it. And I like interacting with our wide range of guests mm-hmm. and our wide range of, of staff members from with different skill sets and literally from all over the world and different cultures and my you know and, and all of that interests me and and my dad was I felt uh, very good at at first kind of giving me specific roles uh, uh, running the bars right out of college mm-hmm. and, uh, and then I took over reservations and focus on that. And then he slowly started giving me more. Um, I, I kind of retained the bars, and then I took over reservations. And I Your dad was a brave man. And then, <laughs> and then later, you know, the, the relatively quick, uh, you know, enabled, you know, put me in charge of the company. Now, yeah. dad was here every day until he got sick and eventually died. But uh, we, when he wasn't here, we talked every day, mm-hmm. you know, and we talked about the business every day, <laughs> even when we were closed. <laughs> And uh, that that was always my help mm-hmm. and guide, mm-hmm. you know, real, you know, person guiding me through all that. He was very brave to have a college graduate, <laughs> his son, run the bars. So that was a very brave move. Well, I, and I graduated from a good Methodist teetotaler okay. college. <laughs> <laughs> I took over our, our, our drinking establishment. So the president of the college doesn't like me telling that story. <laughs> what is it about this place that brought you back and that was more appealing to you than any other pursuits or interests you you may have had? You know, it was um, the summer jobs I had here and the mentors that I had. Uh, We had a wonderful gentleman, uh, Butch, Butch uh, Hatfield, who was our butcher, but also became our purchaser in Mm -hmm. the kitchen. I worked for him for my teen years. Um, In college, I worked for Mr. Oliveri, who was uh, um, ran our bars and uh, and ran bars during prohibition, not here but elsewhere during <laughs> prohibition. You know, inside of out of the whole business, right? And um, and a few others, but those two in particular were real uh, friends and mentors to me, and almost father-like figures in mm-hmm. addition to my father. Um, and when I went to college, I've always had a knack for numbers, and I thought, you know, this is a weird business. It's weird hours. Uh, we're seasonal, we're closed, more days than are open. 
you know, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't go to Harvard Business School and come up with this business plan. Mm-hmm. Our, our business, you know, we're, we're far away from any metropolitan area. We're closed more than you know half the year. Uh, it's hard to find qualified staff. We literally go around the world to get them. We have more employee rooms than guest rooms. I mean, there's a, you know, you can kind of go on and on why this right. is kind of an odd, you know, un- unusual business. Um, and so I thought, you know, I like numbers, and I, I worked. So I worked at the Board of Trade in Chicago one one summer, and uh, thinking, you know, that these guys are done by one o'clock every day. Sure, they get up a little bit early, but they work with numbers, and it's exciting. And, after like a month of that, and I saw that the oldest person there was about thirty because they all burn out, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably a little bit older than that, but at that time, thirty seemed very old, you know. <laughs> um, and I did just kind of sunk in that I, I like our family business. I love the interaction with our staff members and you know, that have become friends and mentors over the year. And uh, then, as I started full time, I started knowing our guests in a different way. And, and the same thing, I've got to know this wide variety of, of individuals. And mm-hmm. It's been very enriching to me, and I and I was fortunate, I think, and able to see that uh, during my college years there, and switched gears and uh, worked, uh, I guess, between my junior and senior year full full time mm-hmm. that summer, and uh, almost didn't go back to college. And my dad said, "No, you you you're going back. <laughs> you're getting your degree." <laughs> And then started literally the day after I graduated from college, I started full-time for the hotel. One of those places where uh, libations can be enjoyed here is the Audubon Bar, and what's unique about it is that it is a library, essentially, as well, with with books across the spectrum from uh, nature, uh, great uh, picture books of America and the world, to a lot of political uh, books and even some self-help books there. What's the thought behind the library and the collection, and who's responsible for the books being there? Well, the initial... the initial shot, if you will, was my brother-in-law, who has a new and used mystery bookstore in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. And uh, and he routinely will go buy books for his store. Um, but I, you know, we I approached him and said, you know, we're we're transforming the Audubon Bar into more of a library feel where guests can take books and read them, take them, bring them back, whatever. And uh, and so he bought a lot of the kind of the sets, like uh, mm-hmm. we have a, a lovely Encyclopedia Britannica first edition. We found out that. We have taken out of the bar because it's very valuable, but we he found a lot of different sets and kind of thematic stuff. And then between my dad and myself and my sister, we've kind of augmented with their own personal libraries. Mm-hmm. I love politics, maybe okay. growing up here and the uh, the role that the hotel has had in various political conventions and certainly the governor's mansion, summer residence being here has been part of our culture and what we do and that's uh, fascinated me over the years. Mm-hmm. And so all of those books, I kind of, after I read them a couple times, I'll, they end up there. And then guests will start, have started giving um, us, me, books, and I'll, mm-hmm. you know, after I read them, I'll, I'll put them in, in, in the library and I think it's a nice venue for it. And that bar was... Uh, there before and during and after prohibition mm-hmm. <laughs> there's always been yeah. that's been the one bar in the hotel throughout the years now we've added on, uh, on uh, since then but. the hotel has expanded over the years i think mm-hmm. recently that where the room that ian and i are staying in i think is part of a, uh, your newest wing um i believe what's your vision for the for the property going forward, I mean, I, well, we're in the process of building. Here's a we're looking at a needlepoint uh, rendition, probably from the 50s of the hotel, but not too different from it is today. 
we've added um, added onto this wing, we've added rooms in the back of the fourth, and we've added the wing that you're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, we started the, last year a, a, a three winter project that will eventually put dormers on our fourth floor that ties in architecturally to how the building originally looked. Now it's up one level because the, the the original dormers were on the third floor, but the the architectural integrity I think is there. And so this winter we're going to complete from what is like named after my dad, the Musser Suite. We're going to add two two-bedroom suites connecting up to the cupola, and then we'll add, I guess, four two-bedroom suites to this end, which mm. might take us two winters to do. Okay. Uh, but this winter for sure we'll do this end. And so I think, you know, utilizing uh, the space here at the hotel uh, in a way that architecturally and, and, you know, keeps the character and the feel of the place, but also maximize our you know, what we have. Mm-hmm. And, and end of the day, we're hoteliers. We rent rooms for a living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we try to have nice food that's, you know, professionally prepared and served in a nice, friendly way in a nice environment. But end of the day, we, we rent rooms, so <laughs> we're going to get some more rooms. <laughs> well, you know, sp- speaking of the friendly environment, you know, we've had a chance to talk to some of the, the staff. Uh-huh. And um, particularly, the, I mean, there's a lot of um, uh, people from abroad. Yeah. Um, and we met one lovely young man who actually came up to us this morning. He remembered us, um, Joe Ball. He's from oh, yeah. the Philippines. Yeah. And, you know, he, uh, I, I think, just the, the character of a lot of people that are here really adds to, you know, the friendliness of, of the environment. And everyone I've spoken to, um, whether it be a staff person or a returning visitor, um, said that Mackinac Island in the Grand Hotel is just one of those places that, as James Carville will say, gets up in you. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's very rare because there's very few places that have that, that type of uh, impact on, on people. Well, my, my great uncle always said that, you know, the you know, beautiful places inspire people. I think this, this does. The mm-hmm. setting, the structure, um, our history um, of hospitality, I, I think, does inspire our staff. And we, we try to set example by being around and picking up stuff as we walk around and, and doing all the things that we all do. But uh, um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, my friend at the Broadmoor always says, you know, that guests don't come because of the beautiful new chandelier we just bought. They come because the front desk clerk was friendly and the, and the room service was delivered in a friendly, mm-hmm. a nice way. And the, and the, the doorman remembered you from last night. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the case is, and the, trying to humanize it and, and not... Uh, and, and, and make make it known that we're a living, breathing place. Even from coming over on a ferry to getting around the island on bike or horse-drawn carriages, all about changing one's frame of reference, changing yeah. the sensory... Uh, well, you're, you're, you're forced to slow down yeah. even if you don't yes. want to, right? Yes. You <laughs> no car, no... <laughs> either you're walking, bicycle, or, or you're in a horse-drawn carriage. Which, right. Is not fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As we noticed yesterday when we were late for an appointment. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciated this morning waking up to the sound of horse, horses, hooves, and birds. Yeah. I'd be remiss um, before we, we leave to uh, not ask you about Sadie, uh, another member of your, uh, your family, um, uh, is the uh, Westminster champion, among others. Yes, yes. Uh, Yukonuba and also... Um the one in Philadelphia, the big one, the uh, 
Oh. I forget right now, but she won the trifecta, that's called. Wow. Which is a big deal. It's kind of like winning the Super Bowl, if you will. Yeah. Dog world. <laughs> wow. And, and so now I, I, one of the newest additions is an ice cream parlor named after her. Well, I, for a lot of years I had thought that the end of the building, that used to be our um, our uh, flower shop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mar- 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 Garden was there. And uh, and for a long, long time I just thought, you know, we this should be something that we have enough bars but something fun that families could use and maybe even non-guests could have access to the hotel but not necessarily have to pay the $10 to come mm-hmm. in but still get a, a taste or a feel of the hotel. And so it kind of my thought morphed eventually into ice cream, a little ice cream parlor there. And so we, we finally got around to it. And we moved the flowers inside for a lot of reasons. One, I, I think it's lovely That's if you walk in that end of the building, you're, you're met with the smell of the flowers. Yes. You can see them. You can see our florists doing mm-hmm. bouquets for weddings or for the what we use around the hotel. And all that, I think, is, is pretty. And it's, you know, it's it's a very inviting and welcoming uh, spot. And then making the uh, what was Marcus Garden into, into the ice cream parlor. And at that, I always thought, well, we'll name it after Uncle Stewart's. We'll call it Uncle Stewart's ice cream mm-hmm. or soda, whatever. And and we were looking at the photo, the oil painting of my great uncle, who was a very imposing man. <laughs> and, and, and I realized that if we did an image of him, it might scare he might scare little children. <laughs> it's our you know our <laughs> our demographic in the ice cream parlor. And so we, we we went back to the trophy room where we have all the pictures of Sadie. And I said, Dad, what about Sadie? Could we? Well, let me call Mom. <laughs> Can we use Sadie's name on the ice? She said that'd be great. So we just completely change gears and everyone loves a dog yeah. you know everyone loves yeah. dogs and, and uh obviously we're we're pretty we were pretty fond of sadie and, mm-hmm. and uh, her successes and so anyway it became sadie's <laughs> <laughs> and for for those listeners who uh, may not know sadie is a scottish terrier yes yep what in what year did she win westminster well, I should know this, but it's uh, about six, seven years ago now. Okay. Yeah. So not that long ago. Not, that, not too too long ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's one of the rare, I think, smaller breeds who, yes. who yep. won throughout the years. So good. Good and, uh, deal. I, I got to, uh, my parents were then interviewed after, which was the winner of Westminster Always Happens, the owner of the dog. and. And finally, Dad called me about you know three in the morning. So you got to get out of here. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so I flew out the next day and uh, rang the bell at the stock exchange with actually Sadie. I took her paw, oh. pushed the button, <laughs> and she just kind of looked around like <laughs> something you do every day. <laughs> uh, your local celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan Muster, thank you so much for for talking to us today You're and welcome. for sharing uh, your beautiful hotel with us. Well, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Coming up, the Grand Hotel's Ken Hayward shares what it's like to run the world's largest summer hotel. If you're going to work in the hotel business, I think you know you should always work at the front desk for a while because you interact with all the guests, uh, you you learn how to take care of your customers, and I call on that experience you know today. In my- Next, as World Footprints continues. My name is Madeline Phyllis Cunningham, a grandmother of uh, Ian and Tanya, and I just love to travel with the world footprints. I enjoy every moment of it. Dear Mom and Dad, well, the Army has finally seen fit to give me some time off, so I'm writing to tell you that I'm doing fine over here. And Mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, 
your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Hi, this is Juan Cunningham of the Suitcase Farmers coming at you from Lansing, Michigan. And we love listening to World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. According to Ken Hayward, running the world's largest summer hotel is like managing a baseball team. Ken learned some lessons on the field from the University of Michigan and has taken that experience to shape his management style, all of which helps his team provide superior service to the Grand Hotel's guests who come to relax, unwind, and even travel back somewhere in time. I was born and raised in Michigan and never stepped foot here until I started working here 29 years ago. My goodness. So I guess once you, once it gets in your blood, it stays. Now, what is it about the hotel that, that has done this for you over the years? Well, I think the first thing is the connection with the owners, the family that owns the property. Uh, they're special people. Uh, they work hard every day. They're committed to it. Um, I have a sports background, and, uh, and I'm used to being a member of a team and working for a common goal. And when I met the Musser family, I knew what they were doing here and what, what, what it was all about. And really, our season is much like a sports season. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the off season to prepare and get ready. And then we have a, a six-month season that we go through. And, and I just felt a lot of correlations and a really strong connection to how they do their, operate their business and, and their commitment to this beautiful building. And you've worked your way up. I mean, when you started 29 years ago, you were you behind the desk. I mean, you were at a at I a did. service. You know, I, I actually, uh, again, a sports analogy, I was a uh, baseball player in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, every I always say every good team needs a utility infielder. And that first summer, I was that's what I was. I worked at the front desk. I sat meeting rooms. I worked. They were actually doing a photo shoot for a brochure. I helped work closely with the photographer, setting different sets up. And I just got, and then that meant working with the flower shop, that meant working with the kitchen for food displays. And, and uh, you know, it just taught you the business. But I think my experience at the front desk, if you're going to work in the hotel business, I think, you know, you should always work at the front desk for a while because you interact with all the guests. Uh, you, you learn how to take care of your customers. And uh, I call on that experience, you know, today in my role at the hotel today. Um, I, I call on things that I learned 29 years ago working at the front desk. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've met a lot of in- interesting characters throughout the years. And um, and so if these walls could talk, well, <laughs> what would they th- tell us? Thankfully, they can't. Uh, <laughs> that's one of the great things about Mackinac is a lot of people can come. Everyone comes here is treated uh, special. And no matter what you do for a living, where you come from, uh, it really is true. And we've had movie stars. We've had sports stars. We've had political figures, a lot of political figures. And everybody just goes about their business here and does their thing. I mean, you know, you, when you walk out on the front porch, there's 100 rocking chairs lined up. And if you could go through and ask everybody who they are, where they're from, what they do, the stories would be amazing. But mm-hmm. everybody kind of does their own things, leave themselves alone. And, and I think the great thing is about it's not how what the people are that we see here. It's how they feel when they're here. And I think no matter what, where they come from and what they do, they all experience the same thing when they're here. 
they're relaxed, they're, it's low-key, there's no cars, it's the pace of life. And people come here to decompress, no matter if they're a, an accountant or a lawyer or a movie star. I know you're a Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband is also a Wolverine. That's the University of Michigan Wolverine, for, <laughs> for those listeners who may not know. Um, and he was commenting about the chairs in the dining area and the green and yes, white and said, yes. oh, this is a very Michigan State Spartan-centric quick property. point out it's Grand Hotel Green, though. Okay. okay. <laughs> There's a big difference. Okay. Grand Hotel Green. <laughs> gotcha. Well, he, he, wore, he, he, uh, he wore his uh, beautiful silver, Sterling uh, U of M cufflinks last Very night nice. to dinner just to represent. Um, but we we did we you know we have noticed a lot of Michigan centric mm-hmm. um, decor and uh, plaques and 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 what have you. And so I know there's a lot of support mm-hmm. um, from people in Michigan. How have you managed to go beyond the the sure. state to reach sure. out to even international travelers? Sure. Well, I think. Um, first of all, the backbone of our convention business is the Michigan Trade Association, mm-hmm. Michigan Bankers, Michigan Hospital. Uh, they are the backbone of our business and have been back to the 60s when we decided to get into the convention business. Um, there was a day when the auto industry was thriving uh, in Detroit that I would say 80 to 85 percent of our business came from southeast Michigan or the state of Michigan. And we're to a point now where more than half of our business uh, during the summertime in particular is from out of state. And there's a couple of things we mm-hmm. attribute that to. Uh, I, you know, the, the movie Somewhere in Time, which mm-hmm. was done here, which continues to have great success, has a great following. We have a weekend coming up that celebrates that movie is one thing. And then the Pure Michigan uh, promotional campaign, tourism campaign for the state of Michigan, which started six or seven years ago, that has broadened the brand of the state of Michigan and let people know that there is a reason to come here and enjoy. I mean, we've always felt we've had world-class experiences with all the lakes and the cities that we have, but we never really got that word out. Um, and, the, you know, the other thing is, you know, we're, we're a family-owned, seasonal, small business, mm-hmm. and you, we didn't have the ability to advertise regionally or nationally. Now with with the internet and with Google search and all that sort of thing, we can advertise to someone in California just as easily as we can advertise to someone in in Gross Point in mm-hmm. Michigan. It's the same, uh, which has broadened our horizons. And I think there was a lot of people that have always been curious about us. They heard about us, they knew about us. But now that they see the Pure Michigan ads, and if they go look look at who we are and what we're about, mm-hmm. they find out who we are, what we're about, and all the great things that we offer that they can do. We're starting to get more and more people from further away that come and see us, which mm-hmm. has been been a really good thing for business, and uh, which is a great thing. Yeah, I know uh, one of the things you guys, uh, the hotel, initiated a few years ago, about five years ago, um, is uh, our green initiatives. And, in fact, I think you received your green hotel initiative uh, or property initiative back in 2009. What are some of the initiatives that, that have been implemented here? To Well, first of all, Mackinac has always been a pretty green setting because you have to understand if we don't recycle and we don't uh, land, you know, compost and landfill and do that sort of thing, it, it needs to be shipped off the island. 
So we have a, 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 a natural reason to say let's do this smart and effectively. And the Musser family has been very involved, and, and Mr. Musser was the, the chairman of the DPW for 30 years. Um, so that's important. And the biggest thing we did is we installed air conditioning units on the front side of the hotel. Back to that, tech, um, back to the question we talked about earlier about modernizing the hotel experience and people paying the rates they pay. You know, our rooms did not have air conditioning, and then we air conditioned the back side of the hotel because we didn't have to worry about that what that would look like from mm-hmm. the street coming up to the hotel. Our challenge was how do we air condition these these Lakeview guest rooms and not have it change the architecture in the front of the hotel mm-hmm. at all. And one of our maintenance staff came up with a system that's actually been patented where the unit is under the sink in the bathrooms, cold water comes into it, it, it shoots out the cold air from the cold water, it expresses hot water, the hot water goes back into, it's a loop system, it goes back into our boiler system. If the boilers are full, it sends it down to the pool. If the pool doesn't need any additional water, it sends it to the golf course where it can be used to water the golf course. Wow. So it's an unbelievably efficient, money-saving, uh, green initiative that helps solve air conditioning and cooling our lakeside guest rooms with the, if people are paying what they're paying and don't have air conditioning. You know, Mother Nature used to take care of that for us. That's, right. that's why the hotel was built, the cool lake breezes and mm. and all that. But now we cool the rooms, we can keep the boilers full, we can keep the pool warm and full, and we can keep our guests nice and comfortable. And it didn't change the look of the front of the hotel one bit. Ken, you've been here a long time now, and for the first-time visitor to the Grand Hotel and to Mackinac Island, what is the what is the thing that stands out in your mind that would amaze or just wow the first-time visitor? I think I think that's a that's a really interesting question because there's so many things, but I think the the one thing. Uh, that you would do is you would sit on the front porch of the hotel in one of those rocking chairs and look at that view. And I think to get there, you'd walk through the parlor and you'd see, you know, that we have a parlor. It's not a, it's not a resort. It's not a, uh, it's not a front desk area. It's just a parlor. But you walk through the parlor and you walk out of that front porch and you sit in a rocking chair and just admire the view. And then you think back to the fact that this place was built 127 years ago. Uh, I think that's probably the most special experience you could have here. After the break, with a long list of celebrity and political guests, the Grand Hotel holds lots of stories. Hotel historian and storyteller Bob Taggetts takes us on a journey of remembrance. In 1981, they were going to do a television show here, and they asked what made us unique. And we said, oh, you know, the longest front porch in the world at 880 feet. And they asked if we were in the Guinness Book of World Records. And we said, no. And they said, well, at least apply for it. If you apply for it, then we can put it in our television program. And we're like, well, we're afraid to promote the hotel. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Nancy from Lansing, Michigan. I'm here in New Orleans, and I enjoy listening to the World Footprints Radio. More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year illegally. Poaching is a major threat to our country's wildlife. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor with a desire to preserve living space for wildlife. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust does just that worked with private landowners to protect wildlife to preserve natural habitats. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Hello, 
my name is Minnie Johnson. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I really enjoy listening to the World Footprint radio show whenever I have an opportunity to do so. I've gained so much information from the show. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. With two centuries of history behind it, the Grand Hotel holds lots of stories. Hotel historian and concierge Bob Taggett takes us on a storyteller's journey inside the Grand Hotel. We're just a rare place in the world today. This genre of hotel, there's many of them at one time. In 1904, there was over 1,200 large wood frame hotels, big ones, 200 rooms or more. Most or two-thirds were built by transportation companies to get the wealthy mm-hmm. Victorians out of the hot, dirty industrial cities for the entire summer. The rarity of this institution is this. Uh, there was over 1,200 in 04. There's 12 left standing. There's 10 open. Two are closed. One we may lose. One we're hopefully going to keep. Of the 10 that are open and running, we're the last family-owned. We've been owned or associated with the same family since 1919. We've been owned solely by that same family since 1933. So the original uh, owner, the gentleman who purchased it after the the transportation companies, uh, including, I think, uh, Lake Erie State, or there uh, there were several that I I read about, he's a member of the Musser family? Yeah. Yep. There was was a couple different owners after the transportation companies, but it's a tough place to make a living back then. Our season today is six months long and we're closed for six months. Back then the entire season was two months long. So to make a profit to sustain it, now if you're subsidized by transportation, it was easy to do. A young fellow came in in 1919 as a simple desk clerk actually. He wanted to work here so bad he offered to work for free. Uh, He said, you can feed me, house me at the end of the season, you can pay me what you think I'm worth. And that's W. Stewart Woodfill. Worked his way up to front desk manager managing the hotel. He had an opportunity to buy into it. He bought a third of the hotel in 1925. I don't know if he foresaw the depression, but he wisely sold out his third ownership in 27. And the hotel went bankrupt with the depression, and he bought us out of bankruptcy in 1933 as the only bidder, and it's been 81 years in the same family. And Mr. Musser, uh the second, I mm-hmm. believe, purchased it in... 1979. He okay. came, he grew up here. His father died when he was a young boy, and Mr. Woodfill kind of took him under his wing, if you will. He spent summers here. After he graduated from Dartmouth in 51, he asked his uncle for a job. His uncle was a tough guy. He made him work all the departments of the hotel. He had to work twice the hours of any department he transferred into the, for the first two hours, so he really, really would learn the hotel business. And then he bought it from his uncle in 1979, and now uh, Mr. Musser's son, Dan Musser, is the president and chairman of the hotel. Who was the architect, and it, was it purposefully designed to resemble a, a ship? Oh, it's a great question. Not purposely to, to resemble a ship, but just the style itself. We were built at the, the peak of the Victorian Queen Anne Revival style, the towers, the turrets. Um, but believe it or not, our architects, Mason and Rice, and they were out of Detroit, said they wanted something to look elegant 100 years from now. And they decided on the classic revival, the Tuscan columns, because they said 100 years from now, it'll look right on this bluff. And when you come by boat today, you can see the Victorian summer cottages on the east and west bluff, and you can certainly date those mm-hmm. to a period. But when you see this hotel, this long 660-foot-long front porch, it just looks like it belongs here. And many guests make the comment that we're a ship that doesn't go anywhere with the meals, the entertainment, uh, and also we're no tipping, whereas a ship will tip from the right to the left. Right. Bad joke, bad joke. <laughs> 
happen without the seasickness. That's right. Out. No seasickness here. I love it. <laughs> so, um, the, when did when did the longest porch in the world um, become established? Because the, the the hotel has actually been growing throughout mm-hmm. the years. I mean, I think recently you just added a new wing um, to to the to the to the property. And so, when was the longest porch established? We've had thirty three major expansions since we opened. We opened initially with two hundred guest rooms, and we now have three hundred eighty six guest rooms. The front mm-hmm. of the hotel um, was 440 feet long, and now it's 660 feet long. Holy but cow. the greatest myth and the most fun story about our long front porch was W. Stewart Woodfill, when he bought us out of bankruptcy, uh, he didn't have money for advertising to promote the hotel. And there was a little ad, a little cartoon in newspapers across the country that he was fascinated with. And it was called Ripley's Believe It or Not, sponsored by Robert L. Ripley. And he um, decided if he could get our hotel in there, that we could get free advertising in, in the major newspapers in the United States and many in Europe. So in 1936, he drew a picture of the front of the hotel, and he sent it. He invited Robert L. Ripley here, who, who never came, and he sent it off, and he drew a long front porch, and under it he said two things. He said the largest summer resort hotel in the world and the longest front porch in the world at 880 feet, and we didn't think much of it. Like mm-hmm. a miracle, the following year, right before we opened in the spring of 1937, they published it. And... Uh, it was established, the world's longest front porch, 880 feet, the largest summer hotel. I stayed at this hotel probably 15 years before I came here the first time, and that was always my quote. In 1981, they were going to do a television show here, and they asked mm-hmm. what made us unique. And we said, oh, you know, the longest front porch in the world at 880 feet. And they asked if we were in the Guinness Book of World Records. And we said no. And they said, well, at least apply for it. If you apply for it, then we can put it in our television program. And we're like, oh, it's great to promote the hotel. Mm-hmm. A company came, actually a company, a, a local college came. They brought the state-of-the-art measuring after we closed the hotel and they measured the 880 foot long front porch and it was 626 feet long so we got believe it or not we got free publicity around the country because it was published in usa today ripley was wrong so it worked so it's, it's a very long front porch but probably not the longest in the world but it's 660 feet there's 100 rocking chairs out there and just 1600 geraniums on the front porch alone oh my goodness the porch also back in the day when it was built there was something called the flirtation walk what what was that? Well, the reason we were really built to get people out of the really filthy industrial city. So the biggest mm-hmm. thing, there was a lot of attractions on Mackinac Island, but that cool breeze, the clean waters. So during the course of the day, the social center of the hotel was the front porch. The two balconies above the main doors were, were built to hold orchestras so they could serenade you. There were sports out there, tea dances, cake dances. And when the fort was open, you know, a lot of people don't know Mackinac Island was the second national park after Yellowstone, 1875, and Michigan's very first state park, 20 years Years later in 1895. So when the fort was open and running, the manager, of the, and I don't know how they did it, but the manager of the hotel uh, required that the officers walk the front porch twice a day in full military regalia with swords and feathers hmm. and such. And my favorite, the only quote I ever saw was an in-house letter that said they loved to do it because it made the girls from St. Louis giggle. And at some point, they decided that wasn't the best use of taxpayer money, and they discontinued it. But the flirtation walk was out there, and many relationships and marriages came for our flirtation walks. Oh, my goodness. Uh, any notable ones we may know Probably about? Probably not anybody that we would know at the time, but mm-hmm. guests would come here, and certainly there would be eligible young ladies, and a, a handsome soldier was a good match at the time. Now, one thing I was surprised to read uh, as well is that there used to be a casino on site here, and Mark Twain actually lectured uh, or gave a, a, a speech at the uh, casino and charged a dollar admission, which is, you know, I'm sure Sure, it was a ton of money back in the day, but 
I would say thank you to him. Yeah, right <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, he um, um, he came long before. We had a, a room called the casino, but in a hotel like this, a casino was one step below a formal ballroom. And since we were a summer resort hotel, we had gambling at the, the hotel much, much later. And so the casino, which is now our theater today, was never used for that. Mark Twain had fallen on some hard times. Uh, he had made some very poor investments, and mm. almost against his will, they put him on a, a boat to do a tour of the Great Lakes. And if he did well, um, people paying a dollar ahead to hear him ramble on, uh, they were going to send him to Europe, which they did. So we recreated that. One of the most fun things we ever did here at the 100th anniversary. We had actors and book signings and mm. we did uh, plays here. So the Mark Twain connection is very strong. I mean, our goal is that when you come here today is you're not looking at history from the outside. You you check in just like a guest did 128 seasons before and you participate in a present ongoing history. You know, we're in an elegant hotel, but we don't like to take ourselves too seriously. So our history is on the walls. And then, you know, I always say if you're going to walk the walk and talk the talk, there's only a couple of hotels in the country that have a historian. So I do lectures and tours. So we try to make it formal, but informal. We're still a fun place. Conventions are a big part of, of our business here today, the evolution, the survival of the hotel. And mm-hmm. we're most proud to put that on the walls in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And speaking of resident historians, I want to congratulate oh. you because you just won a very prestigious award from the Historic uh, Hotels Association. Um, as the as, as a historian, congratulations to you. Historian of the year, yeah. Historian of the it's year. It's kind of like being the tallest midget in the winter no, It was quite an honor. It was very, very unexpected. And, and I was uh, being elected by your peers. It, it was a true honor. Indeed, indeed. Kind of like the Pulitzer Prize, I guess. Huh? <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> the hotel started doing something really uh, unique, I think, um, in branding some of the, the guest rooms or labeling some of the guest rooms after... Um, first ladies, and and my understanding is that you started with a lot of the contemporary first ladies versus, um, you know, the older ones from the 20s and and what have you. Um, When did that start, and and why the focus on the contemporary first ladies versus... Carl Barney is our designer, the owner of Dorothy Draper, and, and they've been here since 78, started decorating here in 79. They've done, or the company's done, every inch of the hotel. And when we do expansions, uh, we, and again, we try to be formal but not too formal, so we try to get the whole spectrum. And a lot of it, I think people think there's a grand plan. There's really not. Um, Carlton Varney uh, worked for four first ladies in the White House, and when he was decorating there, he did the, the personal quarters for the Carter administration, and um, he became fascinated with the choices of first ladies design and decoration Mm -hmm. so we had a couple for past first ladies that had never stayed here dolly madison suite um and he became fascinated with it and as we did expansions with the first lady suite came up and he said i'll tell you what let's for the first time do five living first ladies and get their input and get you know have them what are you what's your favorite color what's your favorite design what's your favorite room in the white house Uh, we have the the white house portraits in each one uh, from the first ladies and it was just an amazing collaboration to have them choose their colors, look and prove this chandelier over that chandelier, and they truly, truly reflect their personality. Mm-hmm. I know my uh, former boss, I work for W, uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so his wife, Laura Bush, sure. actually I think is the last room that um, was designed. Are there any plans for Michelle Obama room? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm probably not on the ground floor in that decision making, but I, it would certainly be an honor to do that. The, the Laura Bush suite is one of my favorite Carlton 
Barney stories with the First Lady Suites because Carlton Barney, if you come around Grand Hotel, it is bright, fun, it is splashy colors. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, the idea is to shock you without clashing and, and to create a memory. We don't sell rooms and food here. We sell summer memories. That's what we create here. We create a, a dramatic summer experience, and that's certainly part of the uh, the whole Carlton Varney Dorothy Draper. So Carlton Varney in 1979 banned the use of the color beige here at Grand Hotel. He does not like brown. He does not like beige. And he said the longest dramatic pause he ever had on a telephone is when he called Bush, and he was talking to her, and they were building a new place, I believe, in Texas. And he says she was very excited about having the suite created, and he said, what's your favorite color? And she says, I just love beige. Oh, and he dear. said it was the longest dramatic pause. And Carlton Varney says, what's your second favorite color? And she said, turquoise, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I look at this place and I and I'm saying, geez, you've got to spend a ton on painting this place. You've got all of this wood here, but it feels fresh, and and I'm sure that's the intent. But I'm sure that's a challenge as as well to try to maintain this this uh, historic structure. There's no more expensive building maintained than a large wood frame building per square mm-hmm. foot. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this 29 years. Um, when I started studying this genre of hotel, there was 34 standing. And now there's 12 standing and 10 open. When I came here, I was only going to come a couple years. I wanted to put together a small book on the hotel, and that was 19 years ago. When I saw the love and the care and what this family puts back into the hotel, not only to maintain it to the top standards and the single most expensive building to maintain, but always, every year, we do upgrades and renovations and modifications and add rooms to the hotel. So it, it, it's a, a pride of ownership, and it is because this family, this is their one and only business. And they work here every single day side by side with every one of us. And we close for the summer in a week, and that family will go in every nook, cranny, closet, guest room, employee housing, and they'll make notes. And and one of the, the good things about the hotel is we're open six months, and we're closed six months. And the six months we're closed, they really do put together a wish list of what we can do keep the hotel to top standards and also move it forward. So we're created for our guests and by our guests and we're overseen by a family that has the pride of ownership and that's why the building is to the standard that it is. Bob, you came here 19 years ago. Everybody I'm sure who has worked here for a long time has a Mackinac or sure. Mackinac Island Grand Hotel story. Sure. What is yours? Well, I, uh, I've actually been here 19 years. I've been doing historic okay. hotels for 29 years. I did 10 years before I came here. Um, I came here just for the building, 100%. I mean, this is what I study. I've been, stu- you know, almost 30 years specifically, turn of the century wood frame vernacular hotels built by transportation companies. Uh, but when I got here, I felt I love islands, so I fell in love with the island. Mm-hmm. And I'm not from Michigan, I fell in love with the people from Michigan. And just the whole uniqueness of this island that everything moves, the horse culture that's not some novelty at your county fair, it's everything that moves, moves behind a horse here. Mm-hmm. So it, when you talk about stepping into history, you you know, you take a boat across here, you get off in a little town, town looks very similar to what it did. 82% of the island is parked, they'll never be developed the roads, the trails, the natural features. You take a 100-year-old carriage up to a hotel and have a five-course dinner with an orchestra playing. I, I kind of found home. Absolutely. I, I and, and, of course, you know, the Michigan natives, as being one myself, you know, <laughs> very partial to that. Um, now, you know, over the years, I, I have to know, there have been a lot of famous people stay here, certainly, you know, the First Ladies and what have you. And so if these walls could talk, what 
quirky, funny stories would they tell us about some of the guests who have been here? Well, there's been so many over the years, and it's a percentage of who have come here. We've been luckily visited by five presidents since we've been here as well. We've had a couple movies made here, so we have the connection with the movies. And even mm-hmm. some people that were in the movies, uh, uh, this time for Keeps with Esther Williams, Xavier Cougat, Jimmy Durante, Jimmy Durante brought Jack Benny here, and then other people came kind of of note. Um, but it, it's the little obscure things I love the best. We have a guest registry from the late teens, early 20s, and there was a baseball guy came here, and he said, oh, are there any baseball greats from that period in there? And I said, well, I don't, I don't know, and I don't think so, but you're welcome to look. And he found the fella that delivered the money when the Chicago Black Sox, the fixed <laughs> game, uh, was in our registry, and they found out that they were worried that he was going to talk. And they hid him out somewhere. No one knew where they hid this guy. And he was on our registry, and he stayed here. They were hiding him out because they were so afraid that he would rat him out because he carried the actual pay from the crooks to the other crooks. And uh, so that was just a little thing like that. And, oh, and, my. You know, Frank Lloyd Wright's <laughs> grandson came here. I'm a huge Frank Lloyd Wright fan. Mm-hmm. We made the connect. We're selling a Frank Lloyd Wright Tiffany vase here. And, and so to have Frank Lloyd Wright's son here or grandson here with it was just, just little things like that to me are, are just as wonderful as the big names and the big celebrities. You know, sure. that I mean, it's a minority of our business celebrities, but it certainly does. does People love hearing about it, and it gives a great credibility to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I'm sure as a historian, you know, just having uh, those people kind of uh, add to the history of the, pl- uh, the place, the, you know, the color uh, of, uh, of the uh, hotel has to mean something to as a historian. Is there a period in this uh, hotel's history that really resonates with you and the, the growth of the hotel or just the evolution of the hotel? Is there a period that resonates with you? There's a lot of periods that do that what we did to survive, to keep our doors open, to me is the most fascinating part of our story. Twice we were going to be torn down. We were within months of being torn down in 1910 and 1933. Um, World War II about killed us. Uh, tourism dropped 90% here. The strategic importance to get the raw materials from the Sulaks, 50 miles north of here, uh, down to the factories to build the war machines. Uh, very few hotels, especially that have been operating for 128 seasons, can say they've never closed their doors, and we never have. I mean, during World War II, we dropped the rates down to the original rate. Uh, original mm-hmm. rates were 3 to $5 a night in 87. They've gone to 24 to $35 a night. We closed two floors of the hotel. Uh, this year, we hit a record with 709 employees. During World War II, they ran the hotel with 59 employees. Employees. July 11, 1939, uh, was one of the darkest days ever. Uh, we had 11 paying guests. This is peak season July here for our hotel. Mm-hmm. We had 11 paying guests, and they were served by 400 employees. And we never closed the doors. So that evolution, some of it not so pretty. During Prohibition, we didn't have a dry day in this hotel. Came just open. We had gambling in the back of the house. We had a, a roulette room with a revolving wall in it. So we've done what's necessary, but we have never through. You know, when the last economic downturn happened, and it was, mm-hmm. oh, what are you going to do in a high-end hotel? I said, we've survived World War One. World War II, the Great Depression, this is just a little speed bump. We're the only hotel on this island, we're the only hotel on this island that actually added jobs uh, during the economic downturn. Now, you know, speaking of uh, kind of the, the dark history, well, I want to touch on a uh, dark history in uh, this country, you sure. know, during the civil rights sure. movements and what have you. Um, today, you know, we are pleasantly surprised to see a, a very multicultural environment with a lot of the service staff who comes from other countries. And, and I think, you know, I would think that they're brand ambassadors for the hotel when they go back to, to their countries. Um, and it's nice to see that integration. But during, you know, the, the early riots, during segregation, how 
how did the hotel, or were guests of um, other ethnicities welcomed here? Oh, sure. They were. We always have been, uh, because Michigan is in general, because mm-hmm. of the, the population. You know, we were built, but a lot of people don't understand, so we were built for a very small group of people, with the ultra-wealthy, the mover, the shaker, the robber baron, heroes of villains, if you were, not even really for them, for their children. They were born into money, born into wealth, and they came and they stayed the whole summer season. They were here for two months. That was it. Most of these, many of these, I shouldn't say most, but many of these resort hotels did not evolve as travel evolved. When that very wealthy, unbridled capitalism class slowly died away, the long-term stay visitor, mm-hmm. a middle class rose up. And, and there's no more dramatic place than in Michigan with Henry Ford doubling the wage to say all of a sudden you can now afford the automobile and you travel. Many of these resorts continued catering to these wealthy, long-term stays when they died out and a middle class rose up. And when that middle class rose up, the smart people, and I'm not saying we always did it well. We've made some horrible mistakes. But to figure out that you've got to serve everybody, mm-hmm. everybody. And that's my favorite thing today about this hotel is I think the greatest misconception within our own state is we're a big snob and we're hugely expensive. The people that own this hotel are the most down-to-earth people there are. I mean, we're a solid four-star hotel, and for many people in the Midwest, is the best place you know they're going to stay. And we want to we not only meet but exceed their expectations. So mm-hmm. serving everybody is really how we figured out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure the uh, the the Hollywood influence here has you know really helped um, even beyond the state of Michigan uh, inform people about the Grand Hotel somewhere in time sure. with Christopher Reeves and, and, and Jane Seymour, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> And um, Esther Williams and Jimmy Durante back in 1947, I believe. That was huge. That brought us out of the Depression. It really did. We had no earthly idea, truthfully, the power of Hollywood. And then they shot this time for keeps in 1947. They shot in the summer, shot in the winter. She turned out dozens of swimming films. We had no idea. It was released right before we opened 1949. Literally, people beat our doors down. 1950 was the highest occupancy rate we ever had. Mm-hmm. And in 51, we started legitimately making money as a hotel. We had treaded water for so long. In fact, we had a suite on the third floor for Esther Williams her whole life, named after her. We were so appreciative. She just passed away last year, and she was mm-hmm. a wonderful lady. Somewhere in Time is the same thing. It was shot here. Uh, it didn't do well when it was released. It was released during an actor strike. Their planned release of a li- smaller theaters, then building to larger theaters, never really happened. It lost money. Almost as soon as it closed, the momentum picked up. Mm-hmm. Picked up. And you, you here, you, the Orient one was re released, and this is a figure that I just am amazed at. It has the second largest fan club and following of any single release movie after Gone with the Wind ever produced in the United States. Oh my goodness. Now, how did they, how did Hollywood find the hotel? The original book was was titled Bid Time Return, and it was written not for us. He was a Hollywood producer in the book and he was leaving Hollywood and it was written for the Del Coronado probably the most famous turn of the century wood frame hotel and they went to do the still scenes to set up for this and when they filmed it the Del Coronado is right next to San Diego the Mm -hmm. Navy base and planes flew over and car horns and, 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 and high wires and they said you know what is there any place in the United States where there's a big old wood frame hotel without cars? And we, of course, said, oh, pick us, pick us, pick us. So <laughs> we brought him here in the dead of winter. We had a full house booked when it was filmed in 79, so we put him up at a, another resort. Mm-hmm. Um, we transformed the hotel every day between 1912 and 1979. We had an unwritten policy that anybody wanted their money back, we could give it to them. And only one couple wanted their money back because of the disruption, because the majority of the people ended up in the movie, and they just loved it. So it, it is it is snowballed. This coming weekend is our summertime weekend, and it's 
It's a full house, two-thirds of people dress in Korean clothing. I mean, it's an amazing spectacle to see. That movie has touched so many people. Yes, indeed. Well, it, it certainly touched me, and, and, and Bob, I thank you so much for uh, taking both Ian and I on a tour of one of my childhood uh, favorite places. I used to come up here every summer as a kid, and so I feel like a little kid in the candy store right now and, and really enjoy just uh, talking about the history. Thank you so much. It's an honor to have you back. We've enjoyed spending somewhere in time with you today at Mackinac Island's Grand Hotel. We look forward to taking you on another journey soon to connect history, people, and the things that make a destination memorable. World Footprints airs twice weekly on Tuesdays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and all of our shows are archived on our website, worldfootprints.com. You can also find us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Stitcher. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved.